if you make quota, but you have a low win rate, then you're leaving money on the table. Right? If you're concerned about your commission, increase your win rate 5% and you know, increase your earnings by 20. You know, it, it is math, but the thing is, you do have control over the outcome. And you can change the math. And this is the part that sort of drives me nuts in some people's views of contemporary selling, where it's all about the process, it's all about the technology. And while I think those are important, it's really driven by the people. And if you really want to differentiate yourself from your competitors, have a sales model that really is focused on the buyer journey and how do you support them and helping them make a decision. Because at the end of the day, that's all a buyer wants from you as a seller. Your job as a seller is one thing only, and that's to help the buyer make a purchase decision. That's it. That's your job. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 145. Our guest today is Andy Paul. Andy hosts his own podcast titled Accelerate with Andy Paul created to educate and inspire sales professionals to take their expertise to the next level. He is ranked number eight in LinkedIn's list of the top 50 global sales experts and the author of two Amazon best-selling books. Andy launched The Sales House in late 2018, the first all-in-one personal growth program for modern B2B sellers. Good morning, Andy. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Craig, thank you for having me. And Shai as well. Sorry, not to leave out Shai. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. I thought you were going to have a private conversation. <laughs> Andy, um, tell us what triggered this, to me, amazing lead between having a fantastic sales career, over a half billion dollars of B2B sales and products and services, and to actually going out there and helping other businesses and sales professionals do the same. Well, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> the motivation to start my own company really came from two things. One is this desire that, as you said, to sort of help other companies. This is my background in sales. I'd worked primarily for, oh gosh, 20 plus years with startup companies, and we were selling large, complex communication systems. So we are a no-name, no-track-record company competing on mission-critical sales against you know, the biggest brand name tech companies in the world, and we were winning our fair share of the business. And I thought, well, this is something that most smaller companies really don't do very well or even attempt to do, which is, you know, how do you go out and compete for bigger pieces of business? And so I set up myself as a consultant at a certain point where I decided it's time to start go out on my own. And that was the emphasis of my business initially, was working with small and mid-sized businesses, help them go out and capture those bigger deals. Quite a challenging area and one that really is fluid from the standpoint there's so many dynamics changing in sales, but yet so many are staying the same for decades and decades. What are you seeing recently that's changing in sales and what's being missed by the CEOs and sales leaders out there? Well, I think what's being missed most frequently is this idea that things have changed so radically. They must be missing something, right? You know, they should be investing in this new tool or this new application and building up their tech stack to support their sellers and overlooking the fact that, you know, the key to sales is still a person talking to a person. 
the ability to establish a connection at a human level with somebody, engage their interests, uh, build some trust, and inspire them to want to do business with you is still the heart of sales. And yet what we see increasingly is as automation comes into the space is, is a lot of executives thinking, well, we can sort of automate those functions. And if we automate those functions, then perhaps we have to invest less in the human side of selling. And that really comes sort of a false choice. And, you, know, you have to continue to develop your skills and your capabilities and your capacities well, I said on the human side of sales. And that means investing in your people, finding the right people, investing in their development, and helping them really master this ability to make these connections. Because in the midst of this environment where artificial intelligence and everything, machine learning are coming into the fore and can certainly help people sell and help people market, at the end of the day, people want to buy from people. And the research that I've read that's being done is that that's not going to go away anytime soon, is that when the final decision comes along, people still trust another human being, even if the machine perhaps might have more perfect knowledge. It's just that need for human validation. A level of trust that's out there that is quite elusive to attain for many, but yet there's many different elements that can be put in place to build that trust over time. Before we jump there, I was really fascinated with this element of automation of the sales cycle and the onslaught of tools like Salesforce and lots of automation going on. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, is that more for the sales management or have we seen any real positive effect <laughs> for the actual salesperson? Well, I think, I think CRM systems like Salesforce and others are still perceived by most salespeople to be sort of command and control <laughs> systems as opposed to anything that really helps them. But there's this huge sort of ecosystem of applications that surround Salesforce these days that interact with Salesforce, that update records in Salesforce, that do make it more of a tool now for sellers to use in combination with these third-party applications. Whether it's a big area these days, sales engagement platforms. So, so tools that make it easier and facilitate the process of going out on sort of a broader scale, reaching out to potential prospects on an outbound basis. That data that you collect then you know, automatically updates into your CRM system. So it, it starts making the CRM system the central repository of the data and, and a more useful tool and less of a pure, I said, management command and control tool. So it, Salesforce by itself or CRM systems by themselves still, yeah, largely for managers if they use it. But that's sort of one of the real talking points that, that comes up with automation is that it creates more data points for managers to look at. And one of the issues that, that we're dealing with in sales these days is it's not exactly clear which data points are really meaningful. And a lot of the ones that managers and entrepreneurs sort of cling to don't necessarily relate to actually winning business and growing and scaling. So we're going through this transition, I think it's going to take another five plus years or so till we really start sorting out what are the metrics that really make sense and have the ability to track them. Yeah, when we're looking at our sales staff, how do we really measure more than just the numbers? How do we measure <laughs> well, right. capabilities? Exactly. And that's really one of the challenges. I've written in the past that it's time to get rid of quota as a measure of salespeople. And it you know, engenders all sorts of protests from people when you talk about that. But the fact is that, at least based on the research that exists, is that in the B2B space is that the percentage of sales reps that hit their quota on a year-over-year -year basis has now dropped below 50%. Across wow. multiple industries. This is a survey done across 12 different industry segments. 
And yeah, okay. As a data point, there's a lot of factors into that. You know, how does quota get set and so on. But if you just sort of take that as one data point, and then another data point, the research has pointed out that the win rate B2B sellers is dropping. And another study, the percentage of qualified opportunities that end up as a no decision at the end of the process or the customer decides to stick with the status quo has risen. So we've got these indicators, and I'm not sure these studies are, you know, they're not longitudinal studies, they're, you know, snapshot type studies, but, you know, there are data points that sort of say, well, okay, we've sort of been measuring sellers' performance slash productivity in one way, and we've got this influx of all these wonderful tools, many of which I use, but gosh, the impact seems to be that we're not getting any better. They're not helping. And so what's really at play? And again, I think that's something we're all trying to sort of sort out. But I think part of it is that we continue to sort of stick on these measures like quota, which really don't reflect what a person's true productivity is in a sales situation and don't reflect probably the priorities that managers should have in terms of how do I improve the performance of the individuals that I'm managing? Because as a British economist, are long since passed away, but a guy named Charles Goodhart that put forth this law, which has been proven out by other economists, which is that when a measure becomes a target, it starts losing its value as a measure. And meaning that people, what people do, if you optimize your processes to attain this target, it's no longer a valid measure. So we sort of have that happening with quotas. You know, people optimize to try to hit this number, but that's no indication that that should be the number that they should be hitting, that maybe they're capable of producing twice as much, but we're artificially constraining it because we're establishing that as the number that people need to hit. As opposed to something like what I've done in the past and I've worked with some teams on is, is using true productivity as a measure. You know, how many dollars of revenue per hour of selling time is a rep generating. Now that to me is meaningful as a way of measuring their performance. And how has it changed from the standpoint of defining what marketplaces or what geographies that impact the ability of the salesperson? Any insight there? Well, I think one of the things that you're seeing is you see the trend because there's a couple trends, right? The mis or a macro trend is more sales taking place inside versus in the field. And that you know, was bound to change. But on the other hand, I think more sales always took place inside than people want to acknowledge. I mean, I was a field salesperson for years and spent a certain portion of my time in the field and you know, the rest I was on the phone or whatever. It's, so there's always an inside component, but you're seeing that shift more from outside to inside. And then you're seeing companies sort of shift away from geographic territories to more account-based responsibilities. And that depends on your product and the nature of the service you sell or product service you sell. That makes a lot of sense. Right, so people develop expertise on certain account types, certain vertical markets. You know, depending on how you slice it, account size, whatever, and that's a growing trend now too. And then they look at that from a, a lead generation standpoint. Instead of saying, "Look, we're going to do mass prospecting across a broad front," is instead we're going to identify two hundred accounts we want to get into, and we're going to really focus our lead generation efforts within those accounts. And regarding those accounts, has there been any change in the B2B buyer themselves? Has anything changed there, if at all? Well, I think we all know that buyers have access to much greater amounts of information than they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So in that sense, I think that there's this greater equality between the buyer and the seller. When I was selling, it got started decades ago, prior to the internet, is I was 
pretty much the sole source of information about my product and service. Now, buyers have access to all sorts of information, you know, whether it's review sites or peer networking that they can talk to their peers that in similar companies about similar decisions they've had to make. And they tap into that and they tap into the LinkedIn and other social networks for that type of information. So buyers are more educated. So what they need from sellers these days, I think has changed somewhat. I think it sometimes gets exaggerated, but many people have some sense of business acumen to help them make decisions. And that's sort of what the ability to be able to provide that level of value to your buyer is really what will set you apart. This gets overlooked a lot, but certainly in smaller businesses, you see this that managing the hiring decisions on sales tends to be just more superficial qualities oftentimes rather than really saying, is this a person who understands business? Is this person who can talk with our customers, senior level people, and carry on a conversation and have insights about the customer's business that illuminate some part of their challenge that perhaps they hadn't thought about that we can help them solve or an outcome that we can help them achieve with our product or service. And increasingly, you see the surveys from senior level executives and from people charged with making these buying decisions that the big frustration with sellers is they just don't understand business. That's sort of ironic, right? So it's not just enough to understand your customer's business and what they do is you need to understand business in general is because if you want to try to help them understand the context of the decision they're making, you have to be a little bit broader than perhaps people think. You know, Andy, you bring up so many good points about sales and the challenges of managing B2B sales and sort of this information age where now we have the advent of AI and other things that are depersonalizing the process, even though it helps us become more efficient. But if we're not converting or nearly as well as we should be converting, let's say, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's getting lost here? You know, you talked about this human element and why is that just sort of going away when it's the one thing that we really can do better than computers? Because there's two things. One, they think it's hard, or alternatively, they think they're good at it, and when they're not. So they're just not being deliberate in terms of making that connection with someone. A lot of assumption going on around that topic. So I've created a formula, an acronym, if you will, that I teach sellers that four steps that they can take if they can master these sort of four skills that enable them to connect and build a relationship with anyone. I mean, buyers or even people in their personal lives, but certainly in a business-to-business sales standpoint. That the formula is based on an acronym called BALD, B-A-L-D. And hopefully no one is offended by that. But it's very simply as the B stands to be human, right? So when you're connecting with someone, are you present? Are you focused? Are you being mindful? Are you curious about the other person? Just these sort of human things, you know, if you're not on your phone, are you not distracted? And these are behaviors we see that detract from this whole idea of connecting with someone. The A stands for ask great questions, right? The way you make yourself interesting to someone is to be interested in them. And yet, so often salespeople, you know, they just show up and start pitching. And you're not going to connect with someone. You're not going to start building the type of relationship you need with another person, the prospect side or your buyer side. Unless you can engage their interest, but you're not going to engage their interest if you're not interested in them. So the ability to ask questions and to get the customer talking about the things that are of value to them and of interest to them, an essential skill that doesn't come natural to many people. The L of BALD stands for listen slowly. And one of the problems that we're seeing these days in sales is sellers are increasingly scripted, right? Everybody wants to be prepared with a script for every contingency. And the problem with that is that Instead, when you ask a question, instead of listening for the answer that the buyer is giving, you're listening for the answer that you expect to hear. 
And then you're also thinking ahead to the next question you're going to ask. As a consequence, you don't really hear what the buyer's saying. You don't really get a sense of what their priorities are, what their objectives are, their goals are. You're just sort of putting them into a box. And the fact is that every single interaction with a buyer is unique. It needs to be treated as such. So you really need to develop the skill, this habit of what I call listening slowly, which is taking a pause after one part of it is. You take a pause after someone responds to a question you ask. So you actually process it. So you get a chance to sort of get rid of your existing biases. We all have these little filters that exist and actually hear what the customer is saying. And longer story about this whole idea of the filters we all have, but there's studies show that we have all carry about roughly two dozen biases that we need to filter through when we communicate to another person. You have to start with gender, age, ethnicity, and just go down. And so this ability just to take a pause and really process what someone's saying is really important. And then once you begin to understand, because you've listened and you've heard them, that's really where empathy starts developing. And so this ability then to have some empathy for the position the person is in and what they're going through, what they're trying to achieve, again, helps build that connection as a fundamental building block of trust, which is so essential. And then the D of the BALD acronym is just deliver value. Yeah, every time you interact with somebody in a B2B sales situation is you have to be conscious of the value that you're going to provide that person that makes it worth their time to give you the time to talk to them. You know, there's this fundamental bargain that exists between buyer and seller. The buyer says, I'll give you some of my time. What are you going to give me in return? And unless you give them something that they have, an, let's say, an ROI on the time they invest in you, you're not going to get any more time. This happens to sellers all the time. They talk to people, well, what this guy's prospects gone silent on me. Why? Well, oftentimes what the buyer is saying is, look, it's just not worth my time to talk to you anymore because you're not adding value. So you have to be very deliberate in every interaction you have with someone is saying, okay, before I send this email, send this voicemail, talk to them on the phone, meet them in person, what is the value I'm going to deliver to them in this interaction that's going to help them move closer to making a decision? And if you can't answer that question, then you're not ready to have that interaction. So the very simple framework, BLD, be human, ask great questions, listen slowly, deliver value. If a B2B salesperson, enterprise of any size, can do that, then they've got a leg up on the competition. Well, you've certainly modeled that behavior today by, <laughs> by offering that up to all of us. And man, there's just so many lessons inside of that. One of the things that really struck me was this idea about sales scripts and how I think there's this pressure, right? So it's great that we have access to automation to help us become more efficient at sort of tracking and moving people through a funnel in terms of our ability yes. to analyze that and measure that. We all get super excited because now, you know, anything we can measure that, oh, that's great. You know, so now we can bonus on that and see our progress. And, and all of that matters a lot. But it sounds like what I'm hearing you say, what's getting lost in there is that we're putting emphasis on the wrong pieces. We're putting mm -hmm. emphasis sort of trying to shoot people through this funnel. And so those conversations become a lot less about learning and understanding and more about my objective as the salesperson and that's why we're not really listening. Absolutely. You nailed it. And it begins to feed on itself because if you suddenly are saying, look, I've got this automation. It's giving me all these data points on what's happening in, in sales. And I try to manage almost exclusively to those KPIs, those metrics. Yeah, oftentimes they have nothing to do with the process the buyer's going through to make a decision. The research has come out in the last year from the Gartner Group about the buyer journey. And so we know in sales, we tend to look at sales as being sort of this linear stage-driven process. 
we start at one end with the initial contact, we turn it to a prospect, we do discovery, needs analysis, qualification, presentation, proposal, close. And on each, <laughs> right. each, of, those, each of those stages, we've got these criteria that says, if we accomplish these two things, then we're going to migrate to the next stage. And so that's the way sellers look at it. But the buyer, and Gartner published this chart that was a great chart describing the buyer's journey, and as they call it, the ball of spaghetti drawing, which is it's not linear. It's It'll like an old Rube Goldberg flowchart diagram. Uh, <laughs> and it bears no resemblance whatsoever the way that seller conceives of and perceives of the sales process. You know, sellers are thinking, well, I'm mapping my sales process on the way the buyer's journey. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> There's no resemblance between the two. And so when you get too scripted, you miss that. And, and so what, what makes you think you're going to get that kind of result when you're, you're literally on two different paths? <laughs> exactly. And so what we see in some market segments is what they've reverted to is saying, okay, well, I know the sales process isn't very efficient, but if I just do more of it, I can achieve a number that I want to achieve, right? So I may only be closing one out of every five of my most qualified opportunities, but the way to double my sales is to double the number of opportunities coming through the pipeline rather than saying, I need to improve the percentage of the deals that I win, right? But the technology sort of enables the other behavior because it makes it easier to do this proactive outreach. And as I like to tell entrepreneurs and sales leaders, so well, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, right? Just because the technology enables you to do it doesn't mean it's the right thing for what you should be doing in your business. So we have this push-pull. We've got these greater capabilities at top of funnel, if we'll use that metaphor, but the middle of the funnel where the selling really takes place, right? Discovery and the qualification and the need. Yeah, we're not doing nearly as well there overall than I think we did before the automation came on the scene. It's sort of ironic. It is ironic. And it also makes me think about just in terms of, you know, customer acquisition cost, right? So mm-hmm. we love we love to sell more to customers that we have because that increases the sure. overall view that both sides receive. And we love to bring more people into the top of the funnel. But how about converting more people that are already in the funnel that you've paid to get into the funnel? You know, I well, think changing yeah. that point of view is important. Well, but it, you get resistance to it. And that's, that's the thing I find interesting because I'm writing and talking more increasingly about this is that because of the automation, because of the tools, because it makes it easier to get somebody into the top of the funnel, we think that if we just get enough people in there, as I said before, we'll survive with a lower win rate out of that just because we can always put more people into the top of the funnel. And to me, that's really short-sighted. Again, that's not selling, that's gambling, right? That's playing the odds, right? Yeah, I'm going to play the more, odds. It's more of that bias. Like you said, I mean, we have marketers screaming at us all the time, try my new funnel. Here's why you're not getting enough people in your funnel, right? So it becomes mm. like this thing. And then there's, there's sort of these old notions and uh, adages, like people love to say things like, oh, you know, sales is just a numbers game. <laughs> well, yeah. well, it is. <laughs> like, like you said, okay, so basically it's just roulette and you know, we have no control over the process or we, we can't add any value to that process. We just got to throw more spaghetti. Right. I mean, we should make no mistake about it because sales is a numbers game. That's, somebody was online, I think, was responding to something I'd written and was sort of pushing back and saying, well, win rate's not important. It's just commissions at the end of the day that's important. If you get hitting your commission number, who cares what your win rate is? And my response to that was, well, <laughs> you know, if you make quota, but you have a low win rate, then you're leaving money on the table. 
right? If you're concerned about your commission, increase your win rate 5% and you know, increase your earnings by 20. You know, it, it is math, but the thing is you do have control over the outcome and you can change the math. And this is a part that sort of drives me nuts in some people's views of contemporary selling where it's all about the process. It's all about the technology. And while I think those are important, it's really driven by the people. And if you really want to differentiate yourself from your competitors, have a sales model that really is focused on the buyer journey and how do you support them and helping them make a decision? Because at the end of the day, that's all a buyer wants from you as a seller. Your job as a seller is one thing only, and that's to help the buyer make a purchase decision. That's it. That's your job. If a salesperson thinks they're doing anything else, you got to reorient them because that's not their job. Your job is to help somebody make a decision. It's not to sell something. It's to help somebody make a decision. Well, Andy, that's an incredible call to action. And I just want to thank you so much for being with us today. We really enjoyed having you here. Well, Shai, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. So what else would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, come visit us at the sales house. And this is a B2B sales growth community that I launched last year in partnership with my son. And it is for those B2B sellers that want to get better, that want to see where they want to go in their careers and don't really know what the path is to get there. Because oftentimes, companies just aren't investing in developing individuals the way that they should these days. And we've got this great resource with defined courses and live coaching every week and a really engaged community of B2B sellers helping each other that makes us sort of the ideal resource for a B2B seller that wants to take the next step in their career. Our guest today has been Andy Paul, Amazon best-selling author and sales authority, helping serious sales professionals grow their careers to new levels. You can learn more about Andy as well as find links to his website and sales community, all on our website at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.